The Life Series. Powered by Amicus. With your host, Heather Story. Hello and welcome to the live series brought to you by Amicus Recruitment. This is the podcast that gives you insight into the life and role of tech leaders all over the world. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for uh, having me. Amazing. I've been really excited uh, about this episode because it's I think we're going to be covering um, various subjects, a lot about kind of your software engineering career, but also going to be touching quite a bit on um, venture capital, which is something that I don't think we've we've kind of spoken about in any previous episodes. And um, it's certainly something that that I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about. So um, so let's just dive straight in. And then maybe do you want to describe your role at Moonfire and and, and uh, for listeners that might not have heard of you, is, um, just kind of go into a little bit about what Moonfire does. Sure. I, I think I'll do that in the opposite order. I'll describe what Moonfire does and then sort of like where I fit into that. But basically, Moonfire is a pre-seed and seed stage venture capital firm, um, which means that we invest in startups uh, that are raising either their uh, pre-seed or seed rounds, basically the first rounds um, that they might raise from institutional investors to get their business going. Um, that's where we specialize and really helping entrepreneurs like through that early journey um, and helping them build their first products and get to market and stuff like this. This is our business model. We focus on companies in four sectors, um, fintech, future of work, gaming, and e-health. Um, and we primarily focus on European startups from across the whole continent. Um, so that's our sort of uh, sector stage and geo remit, as I like to say. And then the one of the key differentiators about Moonfire is that we aim to use software, data, and machine learning to optimize and accelerate as much of the venture lifecycle as possible, from sourcing, screening, and evaluating potential investment opportunities to helping our portfolio founders succeed to, um, you know, uh, pr- producing sort of like uh, data and reporting for our investors for doing all the statistical modeling and simulation of the sort of um, current funds that we're investing out of and stuff like this. We aim to apply like software data machine learning to all of that and that part of Moonfire broadly is my remit. Um, so I've been working at Moonfire uh, pretty much since the beginning, two, two and a half years ago. And for a while, it was just me working on all of that stuff. And uh, sort of towards the end of last year, we decided to really double down on that aspect of Moonfire. And now um, there are four of us working on uh, machine learning at Moonfire, uh, three additional folks that we hired towards the end of last year who uh, each have sort of like really impressive professional backgrounds as well as academic backgrounds and are also just like really amazing people to work with as individuals. Um, I can go into any more, in more detail on any of that if it would be helpful. Yeah, for sure. So like, I think we'll come, we'll come to hiring processes um, in a little bit, because I know when we chatted before, you just kind of said that you kind of tend to have a, for lack of a better phrase, kind of a mentor role over some sort of some startups and helping them with their hire processes as well, especially for tech roles. So um, we'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, I just kind of want to talk a little bit more about venture capital specifically, um, because it is something that we haven't touched on before. Um, So I definitely don't come from a venture capital background, um, but I I would be interested to see kind of, um, I know you said that you're kind of um, in your early stages at Moonfire, but um, what kind of challenges have you come across so far? I know it's a very broad question, um, but what kind of challenges have you come across um, in your journey at Moonfire so far and and how have you kind of approached um, kind of, you know, creating the solutions for those as well? Yeah, I guess I'll go through the broad challenges of like, 
that like a venture capital firm or like a venture capitalist in general might face. And then maybe we can dig into some of the specific challenges that we face and sort of like our perspective on approaching them. Cause we take a very, like, I like to say that at Moonfire, we aim to be like a software business, like a tech company that does venture capital rather than a venture capital firm that uses technology. Because in addition to sort of speaking to how we use technology, I think this speaks to how we work, how we organize ourselves, how we communicate with each other, how we prioritize projects and stuff like this. So I think that will like seep into some of the solution space that I'll describe as well. But in general, I think it might be useful to sort of just outline the series of challenges that one might face as a venture capitalist, uh, starting from the beginning, uh, which is sort of, I guess, raising your funds. So generally the way that like traditional institutional venture capital firms work is you raise money, uh, much like a startup would raise money, but you raise money from a, a, a ca- like a cast of characters um, and you then invest that money into other startups. So the kinds of entities that you might raise money from are what are called Uh, Funds of funds, which are venture capital firms that invest in other venture capital firms, Uh, you may, you might raise money from like pension funds, or um, university endowments, or sovereign wealth funds or hedge funds or just very wealthy individuals, Um, you sort of like go through a long uh, fundraising cycle and you uh, try to raise sort of say our first fund for example that we raised about two years ago was um, 60 million US dollars uh, so we spent like a fair bit of time raise that money and then you come up with like a set of um, ideally you do this before you go raise the money but you come up with a set of like parameters for exactly how you're going to spend it so you might say okay we've got the 60 million dollars we're going to uh, invest it into this many startups we'll invest around this much we'll aim to get this much ownership based on the sort of statistical distribution of success we expect that to ideally result in this kinds of returns for our investors and stuff like that Um, so you really have like two classes of customers you have your investors and then you most importantly you have your founders uh, who basically you can see as a customer as well so first you raise you raise the you raise your fund and that sort of presents challenges for sure that you have to deal with um, and work through Um, but then once you once you raise your fund, you can start investing it. And that's when sort of the subject matter of venture becomes really prevalent, I think, because then your challenges are more around like, how do you find the best opportunities? How do you find the best companies to invest in? What does it mean for a company to be a really good opportunity at the early stage? Um, and really, I like to say like, generally the life cycles, like you do pre-seed investing, or maybe you raise a pre-seed round and then a seed round and then a series A, B, C, D, E, mm-hmm. maybe eventually you like list uh, on like the London Stock Exchange or, or like it's sold to another company or something. And this is sort of from the venture capitalist perspective, an exit event. Um, so we do these very early pre-seed and seed stage rounds. And I always like to say that like, once you get to series A, the venture capitalist decision-making process is about quantitative metrics about the company, um, sort of like revenue, um, recurring revenue specifically, uh, customer acquisition cost, um, basically like very quantitative metrics about the company and its performance. Whereas at the pre-seed and seed stage, um, you're making decisions based on sort of your perspective on the market and product in category 
and the founders, importantly. It's all about the founders. Um, so I always like to say, like, at Series A and beyond, you're doing company analytics, and at Pre-Seed and Seed, you're doing people analytics. Uh, yeah. So the primary unit of sort of calculation that we uh, uh, have to sort of like build valuation models or what have you is all people. Uh, so it's like, how do we find the people that are starting the best companies and uh, what do they look like and what kind of companies are they starting and stuff like this. And for this, it's very much like a, um, you know, a network driven uh, effort as well as a like one can build a, a critical area for us is to build infrastructure for this um, to sort of like uh, identify who these people are as early as possible and to um, build as much infrastructure as possible to evaluate them in an automated fashion so that we could really focus on who these like uh, best individuals are that we should spend our time sort of like getting to know and reaching out to and stuff like that. Um, and then, so that's all the sort of like sourcing screening and evaluation and prioritization and stuff like that. And that's like a whole bit of subject matter that we work on. And then another problem that arises that perhaps people don't really expect is that um, oftentimes the best opportunities are quite sought after by a lot of venture capitalists and you have to sort of um, the best the best companies often have uh, multiple offers for example for, uh, for for investing and the founders will decide based on a variety of parameters which venture capital firm they want to work with um, so we call this access, like winning deals. Um, so another like uh, pretty significant challenge that a venture capitalist might face is uh, how to sort of like uh, create a winning hand such that they can like uh, win access to the best deals. You know, once you've identified the best deals, it doesn't really matter if you can never get into the best deals. So that becomes a whole degree of um, uh, effort as well. And then once you have, awesome companies in your portfolio, you have a responsibility then to sort of like support them in whatever support means to you and your venture capital firm. And Moonfire definitely has a perspective on this. We primarily help with uh, things like sales and growth and hiring, which we can talk about in more detail, as well as like fundraising for future rounds and like navigating this like venture capital ecosystem as an entrepreneur and stuff like that. And, um, and sort of like this whole aspect of like portfolio support and how to like offer the best support to your portfolio companies. And then there's a whole broad set of challenges around sort of like what kind of information your investor our investors want as venture capitalists like we have investors too and we have to sort of like provide information to them and reporting and make sure that they are sort of like um kept abreast of our performance because like we very well might be raising another fund in a few years and um sort of like want uh, as many of our current investors along on that journey as possible mm -hmm. um and stuff like this so there's this whole like life cycle of uh, challenges uh, from beginning to end that like affect all of the different stakeholders that you have as a venture capital firm. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like a super kind of complex, um, well, there's, there's a bunch of different factors going on there, isn't there? But I really like the way that you've explained that to kind of, you've put it really simply um, for, again, someone like me who isn't um, from that kind of background at all. You made it sound really simple, but it's obviously not. It's obviously a very complex thing. And um, and you've also just helped a little bit, kind of segue me into my next sort of question, really, because I'm mean, quite interested in to see how, um, like you say, you help kind of the growth side of things within um, the companies, like after you've done a deal and things like that, that kind of end part of that life cycle 
um do you maybe just go into a little bit like how you help with the hiring process particularly um i know you said before maybe it was more specifically for kind of tech roles and things like that because that's kind of where you that's the background that you come from with your career as well so um just kind of talk me and walk me through a little bit of how you would approach and do, do companies kind of ask you for help or do you kind of offer it first like how does it kind of work and how do you get started to help companies with that sort of thing yeah, for sure. So with regards to um, the medium in which we offer support uh, after we invest in an early stage company, that's usually um, sort of we'll set up like biweekly uh, calls with the founders. Um, so a very sort of like regular but relatively informal way to uh, set up regular communication. So not necessarily like monthly board meetings or something like that, really just sort of like embedding ourselves in the sort of day-to-day -day problems of the organization and making sure that we're there uh, sort of communicating with them frequently enough so that we can understand what their current sets of problems are and how we can best uh, situate ourselves to help. Um, and one broad area where we often spend a lot of time working with our portfolio companies, as you mentioned, is for sure hiring. Now, this isn't always technical hiring, um, right. but from my perspective, I guess I mostly personally help with the technical hiring because that's my sort of uh, professional background. Um, so I'll explain sort of some of the ways that that's manifested in the past um, and use some examples from technical hiring. But again, this could, it's often for like sales or marketing leaders as well. So um, keep that in mind, I guess. Um, but for technical hiring, for example, like it, it manifests in a few different ways. For example, like on one side of the spectrum, we've had a fair few portfolio companies who, um, for example, start the company with like a CEO and a chief product officer and the chief product officer like puts together a uh, MVP version of the product with like no code, low code tools, starts to get some good revenue. Like um, we sort of invest in the product at that time. And then the CEO and CPO decide that it's time to bring on a sort of like um, more explicit, like seasoned engineering leader, a CTO who can like build out a engineering team, um, but they don't necessarily have these technical uh, skills to really evaluate that person um, mm -hmm. or to uh, really like know deeply about like the tech stacks of different companies that they might want to hire from and stuff like this. So in these case, in these situations, I will sort of um, embed myself pretty deeply into that hiring process uh, throughout the whole stack of like helping them come helping them ideate on like what kind of person they need where this person might exist how we might go about sourcing for that role whether that's like the founders doing uh, search and outreach or working with um, third-party search firms like amicus or what have you um, and uh, really like uh, going through sort of like what the demographic and search strategy should be for that. Um, and then also like constructing a technical interview loop that is both robust enough to do the requisite level of technical due diligence while also being respectful enough of the candidate's time um, and stuff and trying to like work through this balance and stuff like this. Um, and then I'll often sit on those interviews, uh, those interview loops and do like parts of the um, both technical and leadership assessments. And we've done this for um, four of our current portfolio companies um, successfully each time. And so that's been awesome. That's like a, a relatively unique way that we can add support given that uh, we like, I have this technical background that we've been in, in a lot of experience and uh, like in, I get a lot of enjoyment out of technical hiring. So um, that's been awesome. But on the other hand, there's also like, 
um, sort of like more of a volume recruitment uh, need that our portfolio companies have. And for this, we'll often work with them on like um, sort of how to set up the sort of internal infrastructure to handle high quality uh, just recruitment in general at the at the business and sort of like really investing in like an HR people uh, function and sort of like how to reason about um, maintaining company culture as the number of people on the team grows. What, and again, what kind of like scalable, sustainable uh, technical assessment one can introduce that's again, like deep enough to provide uh, sort of the technical due diligence required while also being respectful of the candidate's time um, and stuff like this. And occasionally, like I'll often sit on those interviews as well. Um, so it really goes through the whole um, the whole spectrum there as well. Sometimes just like being a sounding board for like um, sometimes founders like just don't need our help with like the actual like execution or mechanics of the hiring process, but like enjoy a sounding board to bounce around like, hey, is it appropriate for us to start making these hires to scale out this part of our like product development objectives and stuff like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. It's nice to know that you've got kind of that that unique. Does that does that give you the edge do you find then if you're going for deals that you can solve? Or is that something that a lot of people tend to generally kind of offer out as well like the help with that hiring structure and like you said particularly with your experience which we'll go into in a sec like do you find that like a lot of people try and offer their help with hiring and structuring um one of their kind of ventures or is it more is that something that moonfire specifically can kind of offer them? i guess i'm just plugging you guys massively here but i'm quite yeah, really i appreciate how it, that is, sure. or <laughs> is it is it a common thing though or is it is it something that that you guys particularly do I appreciate it for sure. Yeah. And I'd say like most startups struggle with three, most early stage startups struggle with three broad categories, as I mentioned, uh, fundraising, uh, sort of product growth slash sales, depending on whether they're a B2C or B2B company and and hiring. Um, So it's not uncommon for investors, I'd say, to have a perspective on how they help with hiring. Mm -hmm. Um, And at Moonfire, like we definitely, I think, have a broad perspective on how we can help with hiring and one thing that is relatively unique i'd say yes for sure is the fact that we can help so deeply with technical hiring and have such a um, established track record of doing so successfully with our portfolio companies which obviously in the beginning we didn't like we just tried to help as however we could and um, one of the ways that we could was through technical hiring and now we've done that several times and have like a, a really good track record of helping our portfolio with that so that's definitely like something we lean on the other ways that I personally sort of like to work with our portfolio companies now I'll mention this like I'm but a like small slice of portfolio support at Moonfire like the other members of the investment team like spent a lot of time helping our portfolio with a lot of different things so I don't want this to come across to listeners as like ah, oh, this these are the only ways that Moonfire adds support like the this is like a maybe like 10% of it or something um, but the other things that I'll work with our portfolio companies on along the lines of like technical support or things like um, sort of I have a background in sort of like machine learning architecture and infrastructure, which I can go into more detail on. And uh, sort of I spent a lot of time with some of our portfolio companies diving into sort of like, hey, we have this new um, recommendation algorithm that we want to build. Like this is the data that we have available to us. This is the data we could start collecting. Like how should we reason about constructing this part of our organization? Like uh, basically the first fledgling like machine learning infrastructure and architecture uh, kinds of discussions. And then I also have um, a few portfolio companies where I do sort of like kind of 
more like uh, philosophical, like engineering leadership coaching type things of like how to reason about like goal setting and like building the team to like uh, kind of center around a set of sort of engineering principles and like what are engineering principles that matter and how do they influence the sort of like quality of software that one delivers and stuff like this, mm-hmm. um, which I quite enjoy for sure. I enjoy a lot of like engineering quality discor- discussion and stuff like this. So that's been quite fun. But really, ultimately, it's however we can help. You know, we have this like broad skill set and we try to just like uh, add value as much as possible. The other thing is um, uh, I have like a bit of a background in sort of like uh, modern like blockchain infrastructure. Um, so and we invest in a lot of um, like Web3 blockchain companies. Um, so I often I also spend a lot of time sort of with our portfolio companies reasoning about like um, L1 selection, like whether Ethereum or Solana or something like this, as well as like how to go around structuring, like what parts of the application should execute on chain versus off chain and sort of like general blockchain architecture. And then we have another person on our team, Jonas, who's awesome, who used to uh, be before he got like got into machine learning was uh, an economist, um, which is a really awesome uh, kind of combination of skills. And one thing that he's really interested in and has put a lot of work into is sort of like understanding the tokenomics distributions of crypto companies. Um, so he's able to really and uh, he's able to really work with a lot of our portfolio companies that are going through that thought process of deciding their like tokenomics distribution um, mm-hmm. and help them with that. So there's a lot of stuff like that as well across the rest of the team. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's so impressive like to hear, I think, um, my, 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 it's a lot to take in I guess as well um for for um like do you find then I'm going to like slightly off track here but do you find that you obviously have so much more insight to gift to um, the people that you're working with um both colleagues but also um the the people that you've been doing deals with as well do you find that they get kind of overwhelmed by the process or and you can't do you need like um to help out a little bit like on the softer side of things in terms of like walking them through the whole process and, and how it actually works or is it is it a little bit more technical than that do you find that they kind of you know I'm not not saying you know do you work with people I don't know what they're, they're doing in terms of the people that you've <laughs> the businesses that you're working with but more um yeah do you, do you kind of instill your knowledge onto them or do they already know what they're doing um in terms of venture capital and do you have to kind of do you find yourself explaining it quite often or is it something that you generally people already know what they're doing and and is that something that you would recommend people doing before getting into venture capital um you know or or do you think that there is a community there that can be lent on in terms of learning um and um yeah i would say generally uh our founders are pretty informed about how the venture capital process works and i would say if we met a founder who wasn't super informed about how venture capital worked that would i guess be a bit of a flag there's a lot of resources out there like really high quality resources on how the venture capital process works from the entrepreneur's perspective. Interestingly, there's a lot less information out there on how venture capital works from the venture capitalist perspective. So like, if you wanna become a venture capitalist, then um, the information is out there, but like a bit kind of like perhaps less organized. Mm -hmm. Uh, But from the entrepreneur's perspective, there's definitely a lot of resources. One that I would recommend is, 
there's this book by Brad Feld called Venture Deals, which is like a bit of a classic. I'm sure anyone who's like an entrepreneur who's like hearing me recommend Venture Deals will chuckle, but like it's a, uh, it's called like Venture Deals, How to Be Smarter Than Your Lawyer. And I don't know if you'll necessarily like leave that book being smarter than your lawyer, but like it's a good book that covers a lot of interesting stuff from the entrepreneur's perspective. I would say it's not a great book from the venture capitalist perspective because it's very limited information on that side of things. Um, but that's a really good book. Like one should read it. One should like know how the, like venture capital is an asset class, like real estate or um, the public market stock, like stocks and shares and stuff like this. Like it's basically like a financial engineering thing that like manifests in modern capitalism and like one can and should, I think, reason about it from a bit of that perspective, as well as like the human process. Now with regards to like the support that we can provide, I think a lot of our founders sort of like have a, hopefully robust perspective on like what they need help with um and the thing that we really try to like ingrain i guess is like here's the spectrum of things we can help with like if any of those would be useful please ask and if there's anything explicit that like you do need help with like please let us know and like how can we be a partner in that um so it's kind of a trope you always hear venture capitalists like uh say things like oh how can i help or like how can i please like let me know if i could ever be helpful and it's all sort of um there's like kind of a not a bit of backlash but like there's a bit of um sort of uh sort of feedback uh from the industry if you will that like venture capitalists need to have a better perspective on like here's how i help here's how i can add value to you like don't ask people how you can help like tell people how you can help kind of thing so we always try to like make sure that we are like observing what we think sort of like inefficiencies or deficiencies might be in like proposing solutions to them rather than putting that on the entrepreneur but it's always useful if the entrepreneur also has like a understanding and articulation of like what the things they're struggling with and what the things they need help are um because if anything i think that just uh illustrates a sort of like degree of uh, maturity of perspective if you will yeah sure i love that and i love a good book recommendation as well i think that's the first one we've had on the live series so far so i might have to start making that a little bit of a feature have a little book corner or something like that but that's brilliant um you mentioned a little bit about your like let's go into your background a little bit like your experience and everything I know you come from a software engineering background and I know you've been you've been a CTO as well and, and you've done some work at Etsy and Facebook too so um just 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 sort of for people again that might not know your work do you want to just go into a little bit of your background and kind of maybe that transition into venture capital as well sure yeah for sure so I went to university for computer science and math and uh my first job at a university was uh, as a professional hacker. I did that at two companies sort of as um, sort of focused on cryptography, secure protocols and like infrastructure security. Um, I did that for several years and ultimately like started to write more and more tooling and software to automate various aspects of the hacking and found that I liked some of the engineering aspects more than the offensive security aspects. So transitioned into engineering roles first at Etsy in New York, uh, as you mentioned, um, and then I sort of moved to California to take a role at Facebook um, as a software engineer. And both roles kind of focused on uh, data science, machine learning meets distributed data infrastructure. Um, while I was at Facebook, I built uh, a uh, built and sort of open sourced a tool called OS Query, um, which is now one of the most popular open source security uh, tools in the world, uh, which is quite cool. The Facebook open source machine kind of has a mind of its own sometimes. 
Um, and then after Facebook, I was um, co-founder CTO of an infrastructure analytics startup that aimed to democratize a lot of the analytics infrastructure that we were building at Facebook for other SMBs. I was also a member of the Kubernetes core team, which is the fastest growing open source project in the world, which was started by Google. Um, and I was a research engineer at Mila, which is a academic AI research lab in Montreal, founded by Turing Award winner Yashua Bengio, which is where a lot of really fundamental machine learning came from, like deep fakes and GANs and stuff like that. Um, and then before Moonfire, I was living in Boulder, Colorado, working as machine learning architect um, at Workday, um, where I was responsible for the uh, data science engineering and infrastructure for Workday's machine learning based search and recommendation infrastructure. Um, and, and in this role, I sort of like learned a lot and spent a lot of time getting really deep with using the uh, deep learning for natural language ecosystem. Uh, so like the transformer based ecosystem uh, to create sort of search and recommendation products within the professional domain. So people, companies, learning content, job descriptions and stuff like this, this whole domain is very natural language based, which is kind of like why I was drawn into it because I love like natural language as a machine learning outlet. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I worked on that for several years, uh, really enjoyed the technical subject matter of what I was working on, deep learning for natural language applied to search and recommendation, but kind of didn't really enjoy as much working for a like large, so moving corporate enterprise. Uh, so I moved to London and um, was really fortunate to be introduced to my partner, Matthias, sort of right as he was starting Moonfire. And he told me about this vision that he had for creating a um, sort of machine learning based uh, venture capital firm that would be sort of built from the ground up as a technology company that does venture rather than a venture capital firm that uses technology. I thought this was super inspiring. And I thought, uh, I think I still think that there's a lot of ways that one could reason about sourcing, screening and evaluating potential investment opportunities as a sort of machine learning based search and recommendation problem methodologically and mathematically, which is a lot of how we approach it at Moonfire. Um, so I was super hooked, loved the subject matter, loved the technology, uh, loved the sort of early stage entrepreneurial ecosystem, had a bit of experience with venture capital from the founder's perspective, but not much from like an institutional investor's perspective, which was definitely like an interesting opportunity to learn. Um, so uh, I've been doing that for the past like two, two and a half years, and I've learned a lot about how venture capital works and asset class and sort of like and finance in general, I guess. Um, and yeah, that's sort of like my trajectory to here, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty decent CV, really. <laughs> On paper, it's a pretty impressive career that you've that you've had. Um, and I know when we chatted before, like you're obviously so passionate about what you do, um, and it is super inspiring. And I'm sure um, this episode's uh, absolutely brilliant to our listeners. To be fair, um, what what do you do to wind down outside of work? What is what's I mean, do you have time to wind down at all? <laughs> do you do anything other? <laughs> um, and, and, and what is that? And how does it affect your work? Do you kind of, you know, do you take time to, to wind down in order to, to, to kind of benefit the way you work almost? Or, or do you kind of sometimes just think, I need to switch off. I've got to just completely detach from this for a little bit. Yeah, I would say outside. I mean, I definitely see like, for me, work is definitely, um, I really, I've like, I, I program for fun. Like I really enjoy sort of like computer science as a, it's like a hobby for me. In addition to something that I've been able to like, like 
weasel into being a career as well so for me like a lot of the work that I do is very fun and I definitely like program in my free time for fun and stuff like that and the optimal life situation for me is where um, the things that I would be working on for fun anywhere also the th like things that add value at work um, so with regards to like tech computer science like there's definitely a lot of aspects of that um, but then I would say outside of tech the main thing that I'm really passionate about is mountain sports so I do a lot of like um, uh, sort of like trail running and uh, rock climbing and skiing uh, and stuff like this um, mm -hmm. depending on the season you know and where in the world I am at that moment or what have you um, yeah. so that's a uh, I really enjoy it like um, I really yeah I really enjoy training for sports sort of like uh, sort of with like a rigor like in a rigorous way uh, like the theory of training is like a, an interesting thing that one could like dive into for sure um but yeah so i could say that's my uh that's my main sort of like outside of work hobbies sort of mountain sports from one extreme to the next then in that case it's uh i was you know i was thinking maybe the guy likes a cup of tea in the garden and the sun or something or just likes putting his feet up but no you you're you're an extreme mountain sports kind of guy uh, in his spare time I love that that's really cool um do you do that quite often then is that is that something that um you get to do like how many times throughout the year I suppose do you do a lot of it in the UK as well yeah I mean there's definitely like I think the UK is I live in London at the moment we're moving up to Scotland in a few months okay. um largely to orient more around sort of like the outdoor sports ecosystem in the UK um and to be closer to some family and stuff but um but yeah, there's uh there's definitely a lot of like uh amazing, for example, bouldering in the UK. It's like very world class for that, as well as like hill walking and mountain running. Um, I feel like uh bagging Munros is like the national sport of Scotland. So like if you're into sort of like moving quickly and efficiently in the mountains, like that's really great. Um so yeah, for sure. But there's also like um the rest of Europe right here. Um and I moved here from Colorado. Um, so there's like different activities. Like I, I really enjoy skiing, Colorado and France and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot of different things that one could do in different places based on the sort of uh, topography of, of that area, I'd say for sure. But the UK has no shortage of um, really amazing countryside and really amazing things to do in that countryside, I would say. Oh, that's great. I'm glad you think so. Um, I think I'm going to have to start getting into things like that. There's been a couple of guests now that have started saying that the UK is really good for that sort of thing. And I, maybe I've been taking advantage a little bit and not bothering, but um, this time next week, I'll be uh, halfway up the mountain anyway. So, Well, you're you're kind of not far from the Peak District, right? No, I know. This is, the, this is what I'm saying. I've, I've been a bit ignorant towards it, really, as well. And I, I grew up in the Northeast, and we've got a lot of lovely walks around kind of the Yorkshire Mirrors and the Yorkshire Dales and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, it's, um, it's pretty... Yeah, well, uh... The Peak District <laughs> is an international climbing destination. Yeah, no, I know. Don't shame me anymore, Mike. Come on, this is... I will, I will, I'll do it. Growing up in the US as a climber, I sort of knew about England, like before I sort of like married an English woman and all of this, like I knew that the UK had like a queen, uh, had Big Ben and they had the Peak District. Like that's really like all I knew about the oh, UK. Oh, wow, the top three. So the Peak District was like pretty early in my uh, sort of like uh, the things that I learned about the UK. So it's a really awesome um, bit of countryside that you guys have here for sure. Yeah. Have you been up then, I guess? Yeah. So my wife is actually from Sheffield. Oh, no way. Okay. And uh, my brother-in-law still lives in Sheffield and um, and is also like an avid boulder. Um, so, um, 
sort of like UK climbing culture is like a big part of like that family and um and uh, we definitely try to get up there as much as possible for sure and her her parents now live in Northumberland where there's also actually quite good bouldering um so uh there's we definitely uh we like, we like to boulder a lot for sure yeah i love northumberland i was just in annick a couple of weeks ago it's really it's so oh, I beautiful got, there. i got married in annick actually no way oh wow that's incredible it's such a lovely place isn't it yeah i've got a friend one of my best friends uh, just moved up there recently so it's uh i'm just kind of treating her place as a holiday home at the moment going up every now and then when i can oh, um all right well we went a little bit off track there but i will just ask you one last question um and it's more i mean we've probably covered a little bit of this already anyway mike but i just kind of want to know for, for anybody maybe trying to climb the software engineering ladder or maybe for somewhere somebody sorry trying to get into um venture capital as an industry um, what what kind of advice off the top of your head would would you have that that you kind of wish that you'd known um, at, at kind of any point going into certain challenges in your career? Yeah, I guess those are two kind of different questions. So I'll answer the software engineering one first. Um, I think with regards to I always say like with regards to being an engineer, in my opinion, the most important skill that an engineer can have is the ability to like learn things new things quickly and integrate them into one's mental model of reality so i feel like as engineers we spend so much time like really having no idea what we're doing but like having the core skill set to go and figure it out and like googling and stack overflowing and like over time you sort of like develop a mental model that allows you to execute independently without like external resources which is awesome um, but really like the most important skill that you have as an engineer that's going to take you through your entire career as like technologies tools languages and all of this change and evolve is the ability to learn new things so i think always be learning new things always be open to new bits of technology you see people on like hacker news that are like pretty anti this new emerging technology or that new emerging technology or what have you and I think like fostering a degree of like intellectual curiosity um, and uh, autodidacticism and sort of like the ability to like teach yourself new things about new about new things um, is super important and it's like the emergent skill from which everything else will follow um, now to become like a better like more senior engineer um, when I worked at Etsy, the SVP of engineering, who then became the CTO, is called John Allspaugh, super influential person for me, wrote a blog article called On Being a Senior Engineer. And he sort of like, you know, enumerates like 10 years ago at this point, but he enumerates, I'll send you a link as well um, sure. for like show notes or something. Yeah, um, sure. But he sort of enumerates lots of properties of senior engineers, such as, um, you know, uh, don't shy away from making estimates, try to make estimates and continually get better at them, uh, sort of like lift the skills and expertise of those around you, focus on mentorship, stuff like this. So I really recommend like really reading that content, like engaging with it and incorporating it into your perspective for sure. Um, but ultimately, uh, I think really focus on sort of like uh, being a lifelong learner. Uh, for sure. And then with regards to getting into venture capital, I guess like if you want to be a venture capitalist, um, I think the most personally, I think the most effective way to do about that is like to go about being an operator, like go found, like be a founder or early employee in a startup and sort of go through that journey. Um, ideally have some success and sort of like just learn about uh, how to build companies successfully. Um, and 
sort of like gain some credibility on and some experience that you can then offer to others being a venture capitalist is a lot of like leaning into your perspective that you might have built over the course of your career and through the, like over the course of a variety of experience that you have and then offer like using that to like ideally make good decisions that allow you to outperform other sort of like venture capitalists if you will uh, from a financial perspective while also like uh, offering sort of perspective to your portfolio companies that allow them to outperform as well um, so you need to have like you need to have that underlying set of insight um, and I think one of the best ways to put together that insight is um, sort of like working in early stage companies uh, as an operator and whether that's for you as like sales growth marketing engineering um, what have people, what have you, uh, just like gaining that critical perspective on what, like how, how one builds a company. Yeah. Get that firsthand experience before you kind of, yeah, that's amazing advice. That's actually really incredible advice. Um, what a fascinating episode, Mike. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely lovely talking to you. And I feel like we probably could have got at least another four or five episodes, uh, out of you. So we, we might ask you back again, uh, to talk about some various other subjects as well and um and hopefully i'll have gone for a hike in the peaks after that point as well so <laughs> we'll talk about that um so um if you're watching on youtube hover over the logo in the bottom corner and hit subscribe follow us on instagram twitter facebook linkedin and tiktok at, at amicus jobs for updates head over to our website amicusjobs.com for tech news webinars blogs and keep up to date on the latest python golang and javascript roles all over the globe. Mike, thanks again so much for joining me today. It's been brilliant. It's been awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much.